So what I do feel that we're going to see as this interest rate, um, you know, rise and normalization process happens, we are going to see some some policy changes that just get quietly happen in the background that all of a sudden unlock some borrowing potential uh, for everyone. And I think that's exciting. Um, so my advice to everyone is if you've asked the questions before and the answer is no, in terms of no, you can't borrow it. Welcome to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, the leading weekly show to help you unlock your full self-health and wealth potential. I'm your host, Bushy Martin, and each week I go deep with the best investors, experts, leaders, and founders to find out what it takes to break free from the grind, discover freedom, and live by design. Subscribe now and join me and get invested in the life you really want. Let's get started. What I'd love to do now, now Shan, is is sort of pivot into the, uh, the areas that are near and dear to both of us uh, as far as the the importance of uh, finance to uh, people's lives not just property but but generally uh, and and talk about some of the areas that you've got some real expertise in that regard so you, to sort of kick kick that off uh, given your personal and and the business experience you've had uh, in the uh, lending industry and the in the banking system to some degree what do you see as some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making around borrowing money to particularly to buy property? That's a good question. Uh, look, I think the number one mistake is getting emotional or emotionally attached to a property. Um, it, the, the, there's pol- polar insides, but for example, if we're if you get somebody that has is buying an own-occupied, so the home that they're going to live in, that would generally, if they fall in love with it and are emotionally attached to it, they would generally pay more because it has to be this property. And it's one of the biggest mistakes I think people can make. Um, And the same thing on the flip side for investors, that they might actually um, choose to invest in their own backyard um, because their emotional attachment to be able to do a drive-by on the property ad hoc to check up on them. And um, I quite often, or we quite often do some coaching with our clients to sort of go, well, actually, no, an investment property is a business transaction. Let's keep it over here so you can't see it. So then you're just focusing on the numbers. And um, so, but yeah, in terms of like mistakes, I think getting emotionally attached to a property or a area or a concept is probably one of the biggest mistakes I see made. Yeah, it's spot on. What about in terms of uh, when people approach the the loan process? Uh, Because I, you know, both of us, uh, I've seen a lot of people who who come in with, with a, uh, an expectation that is way different to what they're about to experience because the the lack of understanding of what the the lending policies are and how they vary. Is there anything that you've seen uh, from that front that um, uh, is a common uh, mistake that you see? I I think the the common mistake that people might make is uh, again perception that they expect it to be a certain way particularly if the last loan they did was pre-COVID and the requirements were far less. And then they're like, hang on a second, you're asking for everything I ate for breakfast since 1972. Like, what is this about? Um, You know, I don't very often um, focus on those types of things with clients, though, because that's our job. That's our job to coach them and set the journey expectation and go, okay, listen, 
it's been a long time since we've done this. Here's what we can expect from here. And then when we isolate which bank, okay, here's what you can expect for your journey with this bank. Um, and then we ca we couch that expectation and then the loan processor backs it up. Um, so I don't really focus too much on what the client mistakes might be because as a broker, um, we, we can uh, mitigate those and navigate around them. Love it. Love it. That's exactly right. We're, we're here to actually educate them on how it works and then take the stress, pain and and uh, are they a way uh, to make a good experience? I love that. Uh, yeah. Now, if someone was to look to get a loan, what, why do you think property buyers and investors should engage a savvy finance broker over going direct to a bank or just a, an average broker? This one is so close to my heart because I did work for a bank for 10 years. Um, in really, really simple terms, a bank will have a limited number of loan options, number one. So you're limited as to what you can choose. And then number two, there is no training in how to strat strategically place the lending in the right manner for the, your protection, the client's protection. The training at the bank level is all about bank risk mitigation and bank risk protection. And they don't even teach their uh, lending managers that there are different ways. They just say it's this way. And, and it might be cross-collateralizing properties and things like that, which, you know, as you know, we avoid at all costs. Um, so, you know, there's just two really, really big things that um, why people could be choosing brokers. Um, you know, there, there's a multitude. When, uh, how long have we got? <laughs> but... Um, it, I think knowledge, knowledge is probably, let's put knowledge at number one. Yeah. A good broker can isolate what it is that you need, how to strategically design that lending that's best for your risk mitigation, and then where can we put that that's best for them. Yeah. Whereas yeah. The, bank, the bank has their bank products, that's it. Well, you mentioned earlier the best interest duty and 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 for anyone listening in, uh, you may or may not be aware that that uh, the broking industry uh, actually has a legal duty of care under the best interest duty to make sure that we're actually looking at the best possible solution to suit your specific circumstance. The banks don't have that uh, obligation no. at all, uh, which is really interesting, actually, in the in the context of. Uh, you know, making sure that you, you think you want your client to have the best possible exercise. Uh, if the obligation's not there, then then they can pretty much do what they like in that context. So I think that's a, a really important application to make, and yep. uh, certainly a reason why you know if someone's serious about getting someone on their side of the table to to look after them and being able to to read through that maze. Uh, of constantly changing uh, lending dynamics and criteria, and uh, as as you know, it's a daily exercise yeah. uh, in that regard. Then, as someone who's got the finger on the pulse, there is going to make a, a massive difference. Uh, let, let's talk about the the qualities and character traits then uh, that you think separate a great finance broker from the rest. Chair, I think a great finance broker has lived the journey. And they draw on that journey to actually then have an empathetic, um, you know, come from an empathetic space to understand what that client needs. Yeah. I, uh, I guess I'm going on record to say, 
most brokers can get somebody alone. Uh, we might get a few more gray hairs. It's a very stressful environment, but it's doable. Most brokers can get the loan. But do you, at the end of the day, do you want the loan or do you want somebody that's going to absorb most of that stress and hold your hand along the way and get you there and then celebrate at the end and cheer you on and then check in with you every 12 months to say, how's it going? Is it okay? Do you need any help? Um, you know, it's support. Support probably nails it down to a key and they're not going to get that from the bank level. Yeah, beautifully said. And I, and I think you, I'd also like your thoughts because you, you've sort of worked with a number of uh, one-person broken shows in the past. Uh, how do you feel about that compared to a, a team like the, the Know How team? Uh, what, what's your feeling around about that in terms of uh, the benefits to uh, the, the borrowers and the clients at the end of the day? Look, I'll liken that to, you know, uh, an old adage that people say about children. Like it takes a village and it really, truly does. Anybody out there who's raising children, it takes a village. Um, and brokering is no different. Um, it really does take a village to get this right. For me, um, the, you know, I, I saw the saying the other day and, and like I steal it. I'm cocky enough to know that I'm really good at what I do but I'm intelligent enough to know that I can't do it on my own. Love it. You know, and that support and that team. And uh, I can't tell you that, you know, in our group, the, the amount of times I pick up the phone and call one of the brokers, other brokers within our group, and I say, oh, my God, this is happening. And they go, that's nothing. Get a load of this. <laughs> and, you know, it's sort of like, oh, it's way less isolating. Um there's this support network, it's a team environment, and we champion each other along the way. How that transpires across to a client when they enter into a, a single broker versus a brokerage is that there's the right teams have a family unit in place. So if for any reason that broker needs to be with their family that day because their child has medical appointments or something like that, there's somebody in the background that's got your back and they'll help answer questions and keep that, you know, the client on the right journey and calm and happy. And that's exactly what we want. Yeah, beautifully said. Uh, so if someone's listening in going, okay, well, there's 16 odd thousand brokers in Australia. Uh, a lot of them are one person shows. Uh, uh, what would you say to them in terms of the, uh, the keys that they need to understand or the questions they need to ask to select a great finance broker to help them? I think um, from a client perspective, uh, the majority of Australians, they, they don't know what, what they don't know and that's in terms of loans. And that's okay because it's our job to know. What I want for everybody is that they've got somebody that they can talk to. And I don't just mean, hey, what sort of loan can I get? Like, I mean, really talk, get deep and personal and say, this is going on and I need to find 200 bucks a week because... You know, my child's going to have to go into chemotherapy and I can't stop working, right? Be vulnerable. Lay it out there. If that person doesn't respond, they're not your person. Yeah. If that yeah. person doesn't support you or check in and go, are you okay? Yeah, they're not your person. So it's not always about what is the right question to ask is can you talk to them and really talk? Because if you can't talk to them now, you're not going to be able to talk to them in six months, 12 months if something goes wrong with that loan. Absolutely spot on. No, it's, it's extremely well said. Uh, it's sort of shifting now into the the current environment uh, as interest rates rise and and buying capacities are dropping through the floor as a consequence of that. 
Uh, what thoughts can you give property buyers or home loan refinancers to actually optimise their property purchasing power and, and capacity moving forward? Any yeah, tips? Look, yeah, look, there's a lot of simple things that we can do. I mean, there's the obvious ones of like, let's get rid of those credit cards or, you know, consolidate some of those personal loans. And they're all the obvious choices. What a lot of people don't realise is that the um, discretionary spending, so the the day-to-day, um, and in the world of the tapper, 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 the, the, you know, card on the whole tap machine, and, you know, and we don't use cash so much anymore. It's um, people I feel, and myself included in here, we've lost touch as to how much we're actually spending. So if you sit down and you look at even just the last 30 days of your bank account and go, huh, okay. That's when you can understand what's going on in your own finances. So I think that's probably something that, you know, we did need to do a lot more of. Yeah, I mean, you're right. They sort of, uh, the tapping generation now, it's, it's just so easy to pull out the card. Uh, we, we, we've actually stopped doing that. Uh, it's on your eye now. We'll, we'll, we'll chuck it in the bottom and, and it's coming out of their check account. So if the money's not there, that, that it yeah. can't be spent. It really, it gets you thinking about what you're spending on, why you're spending on it. So uh, incorporating that discipline is really, really important. 100%. And setting just one of those little uh, triggers for yourself, it means that now it can't spend. So we have all these hints and tips and tricks of how to set your own little triggers to kind of go, okay, I'm at my capacity now, um, you know, for that week or that month or whatever it is. But um, a lot of people were not set, taking the time to set our own little alerts so to speak. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, no, and it, it all starts there. It starts with the little things. It's, it's, and if, if that discipline starts to, to build and that, uh, that thinking approach starts to occur, then that, that starts to ripple out into to everything you're doing. So really good advice on that front. Uh, I, I want to now shift into uh, an area that's getting a lot of play at the moment because, you know, people are maxing out on their borrowing capacities because of the rates are going high and the, and the, uh, borrowing capacities have dropped pretty substantially as a consequence of that. All of a sudden, self-managed super fund uh, properties have come back into the fray. And I know you've got some expertise in that area. Can you talk to us about uh, lending to buy through a self-managed super fund and, and how that works and the things that um, uh, potential people need to look out for in that regard? Yeah, I mean, uh, lending to an SMSF, I, I think it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing tool it's an amazing um, vehicle and it, it did get a little bit of a bad rap a few years ago, but it's it's coming back now with a vengeance. And for those who want to get into an investment property, but either A, can't in their own personal borrowing capacity or B, don't really want to perhaps contribute any of their own money right now because they have young children and they need to hold some of that money back, then SMSF is definitely um, a, a really good option. There's some small limitations in what you can uh, do. So you can't build a house with it. You have to buy something that's already in place. So there's a few little things at that. But again, a really good broker will actually help help you through what you can and can't do. What's important on that one is start the conversation early. If it's something that's in the back of your mind, make the phone call now to actually talk to somebody. It can take up to six months to get the SMSF established and the money in place before we can even look at the lending. So um, I get multiple calls a week saying, can I do it? Well, yes, you can. I need you to go talk to your accountant. Here's the next steps. Um, and, and, you know, and then I'm going to touch base with you in three months. Oh, so we can do it in three months? Mm, probably not, but I'm going to call you anyway. 
Um, so again, we're coming back to like opening up that conversation. There is no question that's silly. It's if you get the right person, they'll coach you through it. They'll tell you what you need to do. You can go off and do it, you know, in that time frame, And then, um, you know, and then it, it functions just as, as normally as investment properties. They just get on with it and do their thing. Well, and there's, I mean, from a, a financial perspective, there is a, a lot of uh, upfront uh, and longer term benefits because uh, uh, if you set up a self managed super fund, uh, any of the income or contributions, you only pay a maximum of 15% tax at the moment versus most people are on 30% plus for, for income earned outside of super. Uh, if you hold the property beyond a retirement age and then sell the property, there's no capital gains tax at all imposed. Yep. On that situation and any rental income post-retirement age uh, isn't taxed either uh, so there's some pretty significant benefits for those uh, like myself who invest for the the long haul uh, so some really benefits there and on the lending front too Shannon and going pretty and far wrong now but uh, when I uh, got heavily involved in the self-managed super lending space uh, nearly 10 years ago now it was very restrictive you could only borrow a maximum of 60 percent you had to have 200 to 250 minimum in a self-managed super fund to consider it. You had to have uh, a minimum of 10% cash left in the self-managed super fund after uh, the property was bought. Uh, most of the banks then would still get personal guarantees from the borrowers outside of the super fund. Uh, so that something went belly up, uh, the bank could still come and have a, a crack at the individual, even though it was supposed to be a non-recourse loan. Uh, I know that landscape's changed. Can you just share some of the, the key bits that, that are now available to people who are thinking? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of the borrowing percentage, um, the interest rates are tiered upon the uh, lending to value ratio or the LVR of the property. So if we're looking at sub 60 or between 60, 70, 70, 80, um, then the interest rate um, is lower, the lower the LVR. In terms of the liquidity that you mentioned, so ha holding um, available cash in the funds, um, there are still a couple of lenders that require a minimum of 200000 in the super fund um, before they'll actually uh, go down to a, a lending option. There are actually a couple now that require zero liquidity and they require $0 to remain in the account um, on settlement. Um, so, you know, it, as it's making its comeback, the lenders are getting on board as to what are the demands of of the community, what are the demands of the people, and what what can we do about that? So again, it's not a one one size model that fits all. Um, at the moment, we've just gained an approval this week for a client that um, literally only had one hundred and forty thousand in their SMSF to begin with. Yep. Um, and we're still retaining thirty thousand of that in their account as in liquidity uh, on settlement. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So it's it's been becoming much more accessible. And I know that you know the days that I was I was heavily involved in it, uh, most of the loan terms were fifteen to twenty years. I know they're now thirty. Uh, yep. They're doing interest only periods. They're offering offset accounts, so they're very much functioning uh, like uh, the normal residential uh, housing loans do. There's a lot more structure around it, which we won't bore everyone with. Uh, tonight. So if anyone really uh, wants to learn more about the self-managed super space, I'm really going to encourage them to reach out to you directly, yeah. uh, Shan, to take them through that and how that looks for them and the steps that they need to take to walk through both yeah, in terms of preparation and going, because it's a, certainly an opportunity area. If it's handled well, it can be very good. If you don't do it well, 
uh, it can be a disaster. And, it, and again, it relies on having the right people around you, not not just from the borrowing space, but a really good accountant and a financial planner who needs to be involved in setting up the a statement of advice and the investment rules and the constitution for the self-managed fund are important yep. because there is a lot of compliance. There's audits on an annual basis. Uh, there are some additional uh, fees that are associated with managing that process. Uh, and don't fool yourself that you can do it all yourself because you'll be making mistakes that you're not even aware of given how uh, strict the uh, superannuation act is in terms of protecting uh, the interest of the super fund itself. So uh, now thanks for sharing that. Now, I, I want to circle back because we, we spoke earlier about uh, how important the uh, loan processing process is to a brokerage and the, the client experience. And, uh, you know, we both Sonia and I have been very uh, supportive and uh, of the, the business that you've now started to help others uh, to take advantage of that. So can you talk to us a bit about your parallel business become a loan processor? Yeah, thank you. This is exciting, and I'm I'm so fortunate that I'm in a position um, with yourself and Sonia to be able to release something like this and be supported through the process. Um, so, become a loan processor um, is a business where I train loan processors for other brokers. So, um, back when we spoke about loan processors and what they do, um, currently in Australia there is no training, um, formal training, or any training that you can get for loan processors. The only way that we get trained one is if they've actually worked for a broker and been trained on the job. So, um, but our journey uh, with myself being a loan processor, but as well as with brokers in our group and hiring and no longer hiring and, you know, uh, you know, getting a variety of different loan processing options and what we weren't willing to compromise is the client journey. It didn't matter who that person was. We were not willing to compromise the client journey. And um, so it got me thinking one day, I created it because it's like, well, we can't be the only brokers experiencing this journey. We, I still get phone calls today saying, are you still a loan processor? I'm like, no, 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 I'm definitely not anymore. So if there's still brokers out there desiring that service, so then it's like I got to thinking other people need customer-centric loan processes. So I thought, hell, why don't I train them? So I created Become a Loan Processor um, and it's a training and a support network where they can actually train in how to do what they do. And then there's uh, weekly sessions in training them, um, live sessions in how to do all those fine-tuning things. And that's where we get to cover a lot more of customer-centric focus. This is why we do it. Not just this is what you do, this is what you do, and this is why, because this is the journey it gives both the client and the broker, and that's your job as the heartbeat of the business. It brilliantly said, and and I love what you're doing there because uh, you know, our Lonely Men team has has the privilege of of joining you for the training sessions on that, and the as you say, it's it's not just the hard school stuff about the admin side of the equation; it's the it's the relationship stuff and the communication uh, approach that really makes or breaks that experience. And I and I love how you've uh, made it a really important uh, part of what you're doing with Become a Loan Processor. So for uh, any brokers or others that are out there who are really struggling, uh, either you're on your own and you're getting buried in the in the administration of the old of the exercise, uh, and or people who think would well, this might be a, a career that I can get into, but maybe similar to yourself, Shan, who 
uh, bringing up a family, but you've got some skills that you could, you could still want to put into something that's satisfying uh, and also can help uh, uh, fund the family, then uh, jumping on uh, to join you with Become a Loan Processor is a great way to do it. How, how can people find Become a Loan Processor, Shannon? Um, look, it's as simple as Googling become a loan processor. It is that simple. Um, I, I will make sure that there's a link in the show notes as well um, for everyone. But it's there. We're, we're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're on, we have a website um, and some great tools on there that people can access. Or, you know, everyone can access as well. Love it. Now, just to sort of round out the discussion on the, the, the finance piece, what's your read on where lending is heading given the constant changes that are happening in the uh, industry and, and across the lenders and and what impact do you think this is going to have on people who are looking to borrow money? Yeah, I think at the moment um, there's a lot of focus by media and people alike that um, with the rising interest rates, it does lower the borrowing capacity. So it can be quite alarming. Sometimes people realise how much they can or can't borrow when they choose to do something. Um uh, what I like to remind people is that banks are businesses. They are there to re- make money and report to their shareholders. They're not there to really serve us. Um, and at the end of the day, in Business 101, if they're not making money, they figure out ways how to make money. So, And that's not always um, something that's visible in terms of like most people would focus on the interest rate. Um, there's all these, uh, you know, as you would know, macro prudential changes that happen in the background of like all of a sudden it unlocks an extra 100,000 and it's like it doesn't get announced in the media. It doesn't come out there. So what I do feel that we're going to see as this interest rate, um, you know, rise and normalization process happens, we are going to see some some policy changes that just get quietly happen in the background that all of a sudden unlock some borrowing potential uh, for everyone. And I think that's exciting. Um, So my advice to everyone is if you've asked the questions before and the answer is no, in terms of no, you can't borrow it, keep checking in every few months. Has that answer changed? Um, That's the only way we'll capture when it does change, so I it's exciting. love you saying that, and, and the, the secret to that is is uh, uh, having a relationship with an investment uh, and a finance savvy broker like yourself, Shan, who's on top of what's happening day to day. I mean, you, your inbox gets filled up with policy changes from the the banks each yeah. every day and week, uh, and those little uh, opportunities that creep in. And as you say, banks are businesses, so if they're if people are, aren't able to borrow money, that also means that banks are doing it tough because they're not writing the volumes of loans that they used to, uh, which will be affecting their bottom line, which means that they are likely de- to become more creative around how they can create opportunities for people to borrow money. So uh, having a relationship with yourself and 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 other good brokers is an absolute key to uh, yep. because you get a no today doesn't mean it's going to be a no tomorrow. So, uh, brilliantly said, I, I now want to switch into the infamous ambush fastball oh. round, uh, Jan. So, uh, get out your cigarette and your blindfold um, because I, I want to hit you up with the, the fast fire questions uh, and, and you know these well. Uh, what, what's your favourite quote and why? Okay, favourite quote. Life is like riding a bike. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. Um, as from Albert Einstein. And it's 100% true. I love it because life is all about moving and adapting and changing and pivoting and 
It's good when things don't work because then you know that doesn't work. We pivot and we try something else. Love it. Love it. Uh, shifting into the literary field, what's the top book that you'd recommend we read? I struggle with this question because I'm such a big book person. Um, <laughs> one of my ultimate favorite though is there's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Um, it's by Cal, uh, Cal Newport. Um, and it's all about why skills trump passion in the quest for the work that you love. Um, it's, so it's it's all about upskilling yourself to be so good they can't ignore you. Great oh, book. Great. It is a great book. No question about that one. Uh, the, the Swinging back into the investment advice arena, uh, and you've touched on some of this already, but what's both the worst and the best piece of investment advice you've ever received? Okay. So um, the best piece of investment advice was uh, if I uh, think about becoming a loan processor, I sat on the idea for three years before I released it. And it was actually my business coach that said, Sharon, you cannot learn to drive a parked car. You have to get this out there and then figure the rest out as you go. Um, and that was actually probably one of the best pieces of advice because um, it it will be a, a very, very good um, returns. Yeah. And look, the worst piece of advice was, you know, I probably, she'll be right, mate. Just just do it. She'll be right. It's like, no, hang on a second. Research. Ask questions. There's no stupid question. So, (laughs) No, beautifully said. Uh, I I always ask this question as well because I I, I believe it's our daily disciplines that that create the opportunity to uh, achieve sustainable success, however we decide to find that. So what's a a personal happy habit or rewarding ritual that you've actually employed that's contributed most to your success? (laughs) I think this one's hilarious. I would love to say that I'm one of those people that get up, you know, for the 5 a.m. club and so forth. Most of the time, I actually feel like I'm winning the day if I can actually finish my cup of coffee while it's hot, um, <laughs> given I have young children. However, um, one thing that I really try to do first, and this is one of those uh, little mechanisms that I set in place to ensure procrastination doesn't creep its way in, is do the ugly bits first. Do the ugly bits first, smash them out first thing, then they're done. You're not then spending the whole day thinking, oh, my God, I have to do that. Do the ugly bits first. Love it. Love it. It, it, it gets that monkey off your back straight away and, and just, uh, yeah, that light, the load lightens immediately when you do that, but, but not many people do it. So uh, love that one. Uh, now, uh, that's pretty much coming off on those. Uh, is there a question that I haven't asked you that you would like me to, and, and if so, what would you, your response be? Look, I, I, I'm I'm going to play the fifth on this one. I, I I don't I don't know what I don't know. I'm a very humble and normally a very quiet person, so you know me very well, Bushy. And that this was a nice little challenge for me to actually um, talk. Um, but one question I didn't get asked. Um, you can as a society. No, I won't. I won't play the fifth. As a society, are we all being vulnerable enough? My answer is no, absolutely not. The more we talk, we more we understand, the more we connect. There's not enough connection at the moment, so let's start talking. Yeah, that's that's really sage advice. So, uh, if we just sort of sum up, summarise our awesome conversation today, Shan, uh, what would be your key? And, and, and I'm probably focusing on the finance piece. What are your key takeaways and initial actions that? aspiring property buyers or loan refinances need to consider? 
Oh, that's so simple. Again, you can't learn to drive a parked car. Start the conversation. I, I have I have people that I've worked with for three or four years before we actually write alone because we're fine-tuning, we're making little pivots, we're, you know, things like that. Start the conversation. The right person will get you there. Ask the question. That is that is the key piece. Uh, for those uh, like myself who really resonated uh, with our chat today, Shan, as always, uh, and they're either interested in talking to you about the broken piece or finding out more about Become a Loan Processor, how how can they find out more and get more involved with you? Yeah, amazing. Um, first of all, uh, in, in terms of the broker space, we can go jump onto our Know How Finance um, website. There is actually an appointment link, so you can actually book directly in with me just to have a chat. Um, and also uh, there's some links through to the Become a Loan Processor page and then you'll be able to get direct access to me from there. You can find me LinkedIn and all those normal places. Um, it's not as Shan. I like Shan, but it's not as Shan. It's Sharon, S-H-A-L-Y-N. I'm out there. Yes, and I, I should have uh, emphasised that Sharon with a Y, so S-H-R-Y-N. Uh, it's an important distinction because if people start typing in Sharon with an O, they're going to start scratching their head. So it's Sharon with a Y-N. Uh, and just to re- reinforce uh, those key opportunities to catch up with you, Shan, uh, if anyone wants to have a chat in a in a no sales, very safe, uh, no obligation environment uh, and an opportunity to ask any pressing questions and share it with a community, I want you to feel free to join us on our recently launched The Property Hub Collective Facebook community. Uh, and you can do that just by searching The Property Hub Collective in Facebook or clicking on the link in the show notes. And as you've already said, Shan, uh, if anyone wants to book in to have a private chat with yourself, just jump onto knowhowproperty.com.au now and click on the purple book appointment button on the top right-hand corner of the homepage and then select one of the appointment options to lock in a free call. So, uh, Shan, I really want to thank you for having the courage uh, to join me today. Yeah, I think you underestimate yourself. You, you're you a, a great communicator uh, and I know everyone's going to warm to everything that you've shared with us today. So, uh, really appreciate you uh, joining me and I'm really keen to keep the conversation going. Thanks so much, Bushy. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, your home for property investment insights and inspiration. And don't leave yet until you've taken the next step towards living by design. By getting my award-winning book, Get Invested, absolutely free when you sign up at knowhowproperty.com.au or bushymartin.com.au. And finally, make sure you subscribe to Property Hub to get your weekly dose of Get Invested inspiration along with every episode of Realty Talk, Australia's leading property show for red-hot property investing news and insights direct from industry leaders and influencers. Remember to always get invested in your knowledge and I look forward to seeing you next time.